pray. God, thank you so much, Father. God, thank you for being so good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for grace and mercy and kindness. And God, thank you for hearing and answering prayers, God, even, Lord, to just, to just show a small blood vessel issue, God, and take some medicine and take care of some migraines. That, that's a big deal, God. It's a big deal, certainly, to anyone with a migraine, but it's a big, to, big deal to the family of a child, God, to, to thank God. Lord, for... Lord, for baby steps, if you will, with, with Hunter, God, just that he had opened his eyes at, at the right time, that somebody from therapy got to see it, God, so to see how he qualifies and help. And, but God, you know the need there is great, Father. You know the needs with, with both of these, or actually all four of these in these, these terrible car accidents, God, the, the need there is great, Father. But God, Lord, even as we'll, you've shown me your word and we'll look ahead to Sunday, Lord, willing it. Things that, that we see as impossible to you are just ordinary, God. If we just had the faith to believe, God. If we just had the faith to pray the prayer. If we just had the faith to command the Son to stand still, then it would stand still. And God, if, if we just had the kind of faith to believe, God, I pray, Father, you would, you'd increase our faith. I pray, God, you'd help us, Father. I pray you forgive us where we failed you. God, forgive us for the sins of prayerlessness. Forgive us for the sins of thanklessness, God, when we ask so many things and so many prayers get answered and so few times do we come back and take time to tell you thank you. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you for your, for your love letter to us, God. I pray you take it tonight. Teach it to us, Father. Help us to learn something about you, God, that we might walk out and be a better servant. Above all, may we be pleasing to you in all that we do. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 26, verse number 10. Paul, if y'all remember, we left off a couple of weeks ago. He is talking to Festus and, and to King Agrippa. And he has been, um, remember, he had appealed to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar to be carried over. And, and so they, they brought him in and he, he's going to talk before Agrippa. But now at this particular case, this particular hearing where we are, I can't help but believe this is God. This is God putting something together, and we'll see it as we try to get through and look at this lesson. I hope we got enough time to get as far as I want to, because there's some incredible things about how the gospel is shared right here. But you've got this, this group of royalty. You have this governor. You have this king. You have all of the, the hierarchy of, of Caesarea. You have all of the people, and they're all gathered for this hearing, and they're all going to come. They're all going to listen. All of the Sanhedrin council is there. All of the Jews of any authority is there. But, but, but get the deal. Nothing can change. He can't be found innocent. He can't be found guilty. He's already appealed to Caesar at Rome. So, so there's nothing that can be determined here. The only reason that they're even having it is because Festus is in a tight spot. He's got to send him up here to Caesar, and he doesn't have anything to accuse him of, and he's been in prison for over two years, and he's a Roman citizen. So the only reason to even get a hearing it is just for Felix to get to meet this guy, Paul. But if you look at it, what you can see, this whole thing is nothing more than God created an opportunity to share the gospel with a whole lot of people that, number one, might not ever hear it otherwise. Or number two, they wouldn't hear it from the lips of the Apostle Paul who lived the experience and they wouldn't, they wouldn't hear the truth of the gospel. So Paul, he, he thanks Agrippa for the opportunity to speak. Verse number six in Acts chapter 26, he says, Now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our 
our fathers, under which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought an incredible thing with you that God should raise the dead? If y'all remember, we looked at it, he brought that up, he stirred that up among the Sanhedrin one time because you got the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees believe in the resurrection, Sadducees don't. And Paul kind of brought it up in the midst of when he was about to get in trouble and created a division there. But, but here he brings it back up again. It's not looking for a division. He's just stating the facts. The 12 tribes of Israel believe in the resurrection of the dead. The, the Pharisees, the, the, they, they believe in the resurrection of the dead. Why? Why do we a big thing? Verse 9, he says, I verily thought with myself that I'll do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, he's talking about back before he was the apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. Which thing also I did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. He said, I tried to get them to denounce the name of Jesus Christ. I compelled them to blaspheme, to blaspheme this name and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So Paul says, everybody here in this Sanhedrin council, y'all remember, we're only 25 years past the cross. So eyewitnesses are still there to the life of Christ. There's lots there. And, and the apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he worked for the Sanhedrin. And Saul says, every one of these guys knows exactly who I am or exactly who I was. I, I did their dirty work for them. I'm the one with blood on my hands. Actually, it's on their hands because they're the one that sent me because they're too cheap to do it. But they're the ones that wanted people killed in the name of Jesus. And he says, I gladly went and did their dirty work. I did it with a great passion. I spake against those that were in the way. Remember, that's how they referred to Christianity in the day, those that were in the way. He said, I persecuted anybody who called on the name of Jesus. I arrested, I even stoned many of them who called themselves Christian. Verse 10, he says, I gave my voice against them. I did my best to shut them up. I, I did my best to do away with this name. And here's the deal. He said, this is a name that many of them chose to die for rather than to reject. You know, they had to blow Paul's mind. I gave them a chance to live if they just denounced the name of Jesus and they chose to die. Paul, Paul knows exactly where the Jews are coming from. He knows exactly what the Sanhedrin is talking about and why they're accusing him because he used to be one of them. He says in verse number 12, you have Paul's testimony here. Actually, it begins. This is the third time in the book of Acts that we see the apostle Paul's testimony. But it's the second time we see Paul give it. He says, whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. Now, the chief priest is present, so it's not like he's talking behind his back. He says, I had a letter from the chief priest. I, I was on my way, and, and he, he tells all of the royalty and all of them is there. He's telling everybody what, what the Sanhedrin already knows. I was on my way to Damascus with letters in my hand to get rid of the Christians. And I was given all authority to do whatever I deemed necessary, including killing them without even a trial. That's what he says. That's the authority that he has. If they are on that name Jesus, I don't have to bring them before court. I don't have to bring them before a jury. I don't have to bring them before anybody. If they will not denounce Jesus Christ, I went to Damascus with the authority to kill them. Then we get to, to the beauty of the love of God. The fullness of the most incredible mercy. Amazing grace is an understatement 
of what God has towards us. It, it, it is the truth of Romans 5, 8, that God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, what, what an amazing God. Paul says, I was on my way to stamp out these Christians when all of a sudden, verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. Midday. He says that for a reason. 12 noon, high noon, sun straight up, hottest part of the day, brightest part of the day, and a light shone up in the way that made the sun look like a flashlight. There was a light showed up that, that was so much brighter than, than the sun shining round about me and then was journeyed with me. And, and when we were all falling to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, at this point in Paul's life, you understand, there is nothing could have been further from his mind than salvation. There is nothing. Paul is on his way to Damascus. The last thing on his mind is, is accepting this God, Jesus. The, the farthest thing from, from his mind is, is any form of conversion. I wonder how many of us were at that same moment when we got saved. Last thing on my mind. Farthest thing from anything I considered. I knew what it's all about. But in church, I went because Robin was mad at me if I didn't go. Last thing I planned on doing was changing anything about the way I was living. Y'all know Greg Nichols' testimony, right? All right, all right, to get you off my back, I'll go to that judgment journey thing, we, but I ain't going to get saved. That's the farthest thing from our mind. That, that's where the Apostle Paul is right here. Every one of us at the moment that we were saved, more than likely, it was the farthest thing from our mind. We were lost and we were satisfied with where we were. Now, Paul here, he, he's got his mind fixed on Damascus. So he's got his mind set to get rid of as many of these Christians as possible. You almost kind of wonder if Paul might have sneered over toward the Sanhedrin when he's talking and saying, yeah, I was on the way to Damascus to get rid of these Christians, and I had letters from the high priest. I, I had letters from him. I was going under their authority. They're the ones that sent me to go do what I was about to do. I, I don't know. It doesn't say it, but you almost wonder, if, at least if it, in his mind, he's probably thinking that he did. But, but one of the things that is very different here between Paul's story and my story. Salvation was the last thing on my mind at the time I got saved. But I knew I needed to be saved. I knew I was lost. I knew where I was. I knew how I was living. Paul didn't. Paul said, I had a good conscience before, before God beforehand. I had a good conscience before men beforehand. Paul truly thought he was doing right. Paul truly thought, because of his rabbinical teachings and all that he had in the Jewish tradition, Paul truly thought that what he was doing was helping God, when in all actuality, he was fighting against God. But at midday, this light that's brighter than the sun, it appeared before myself and everyone with me. And from this light came a voice in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? 
hard to kick against preach. Right, right about now, you, you wonder if Paul all of a sudden remembers the faces of the ones that he persecuted. Right about now, you wonder if he remembers the faces of the ones who, who would not deny the name of Jesus Christ as he himself was beating them or stoning them. You, you, and I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe not right here. Maybe, I mean, I guess if I'm standing in the presence of Jesus and I got this light in, which we know blinded him anyway, but maybe at that moment, I, I'm not thinking about it, but I would tend to believe this. You're going to have the next few days that you're going to be blind and you can't see anything physically. I bet you when he was blind over the next few days, he saw their faces. I think for the rest of his life, he saw their faces. I think it's one of the reasons he was driven so hard to, to preach the gospel of Christ. That I, it's just personal. It, 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 it has no bearing. I can't prove it here. I can't help but believe that during those days of blindness after this happened, he saw the face of Stephen who looked up and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And, and he's like, he really did. I'm there stoning him. I didn't see the light. I didn't hear the voice. I, he really saw that. But now Paul got to see it. Now, now, now Paul is getting, getting to see the, the face of Jesus. I have no doubt. Paul's probably pretty remorseful about some things right here. There's probably a lot of things going on that all of a sudden he wishes he could take back. Is there an amen in the house? Anybody have anything in your life you wish you could take back? Anybody have anything in your life you wish that, that you could change that you had never done? You wish you could go back and change it, but, but the bottom line is, is that we can't. But here's what we can do. We can rest in the blessed assurance that he can't remember through the blood of Jesus Christ. He can't remember what I can't forget. Boy, isn't God good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So a few Sundays back, I, I talked about the importance of personal testimonies. We looked at a little bit, you know, the things that you've seen for yourselves, nobody can talk you out of. It's one thing to hear somebody's testimony and, and, and believe it. But, but maybe wonder, you know, if that's the way it really exactly happened. Maybe somebody miscounted. Maybe that was a mistake. The things you saw, you saw. And nobody can change what you saw. Nobody can change what you live. They don't have to believe it. It doesn't make a hill of beans. It's not going to change reality. Paul has heard every Christian that he has come against, he has heard about Jesus. Paul has heard about their salvation story. Paul has heard how they were changed. Paul has heard about who Jesus was. None of that stuck. But once he saw Jesus, now he's willing to die for him. Once he has his personal testimony, now he gets it himself. So in verse number 15, you take all of his rabbinical training from the schools of higher learning. All of that stuff is thrown out the window. All of his Judaic belief, all of that stuff is completely unraveled. He's looking at Jesus Christ. So all of the concepts of this Jewish tradition, everything they had in his mind, everything is destroyed. And everything that he believed about this man, Jesus, is completely and permanently changed. I said, who out there, are out there, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. All of a sudden, all of Paul's beliefs, 
begin to come together. See, salvation is not wrapped up in, in Jewish traditions. Even in the Jewish traditions, they were actually teaching about somebody. Amen. The Old Testament law and the prophet was actually talking about someone. It was prophesying for an individual. So the salvation wasn't in the law and the prophet. The salvation was in the one that the law and the prophet spoke of that there was to come. So all of a sudden, he, he realizes everything that he ever learned actually pointed to somebody. And this man, Jesus, is exactly who it is that the scriptures pointed at. All of a sudden, all those things that he knows and all of Isaiah that he has memorized and all the things that point. And all of a sudden, he, he begins to remember Bethlehem Ephratah, though they'll be least among the thousands. And, and he begins to remember that, that, that dogs come past me and they, they shoot out the lip and my hands and my feet, they pierce. And he begins to remember all those things and they begin to apply to Jesus. And he realizes he, he is the Christ. He is the one that God has manifest in the flesh. He is the one that God himself has sent to, to deliver his people. He is the one who the angels of heaven worship. He is the one that has come from the very throne room of God. The one whom the prophets spake of. The one that Isaiah talked about. The, the one that he spent his whole life learning about. He is the fulfillment of the scripture. He And, and today is no different. He is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament prophesied. He is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament promised. He, he, he is the scriptures come to life. And the apostle Paul all of a sudden realizes he's the one I've been fighting against. I've been fighting against what all of the law and the prophets said was coming. And I've tried to stop God. Can you imagine the overwhelming feeling that Paul must have felt when all of a sudden he realized who Jesus is. Listen, Paul's not just some guy on the street. Paul is a highly intelligent man, a very smart man from high level of learning, not just type A personality, but he is very well spoken, very well known. He knew the scriptures well, but he, along with all the other Pharisees, well, except for Nicodemus and a couple of others, Joseph of Arimathea. But, but he, with most of the other Pharisees, completely missed it. Yeah, the prophet says one's coming, but, but do you believe that one's coming? It's the same as now. Do we believe that one came? I wonder what Paul must have been thinking at that moment. All of a sudden realized this Jesus, this Jesus Christ really is God. He, he, he really is Resurrected, I wonder what kind of thoughts are, are going on in his mind. I mean, I've been killing Christians who are prophesying about Christ. And now Christ is standing before me. I'd be scared. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you, you got to be one. All of a sudden, I'm standing for you. You realize who, who he is. But, but Jesus was showing all of his love and all of his compassion and all of his grace and all of his mercy. Jesus doesn't come to strike him down on the road to Damascus. Jesus doesn't come to kill him for his past. If he did, he'd have to kill me for mine because mine is just as wicked. Different things. Sin is sin. So, so Jesus showing all of his mercy. He says, rise. Stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister. What? 
What? What? The guy that is killing the Christians, the guy that led the charge to have Stephen Stone, Jesus said, I've come to you for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering the, 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 the people and, and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Wow. Wow. In spite of me, in spite of all my guilt, in spite of all my shame, in spite of all my sin, in spite of all my wrongdoing, God is going to use my life for his glory. We're no different than Paul. That, 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 that's what Paul, Paul is, is saying there. Now, if, if, you, if you look at the text, you see how the Christian life must begin. There has to be a surrender. You see a surrender. Paul falls to the ground. He doesn't know he's falling. He just knows the bright light. has got to be something so he falls to the ground. But, but you have this, this complete surrender. But immediately following salvation, that there's a command. Because when he saw the light, it says he fell to the ground. That, that means that, that he humbled himself before God. That is a necessary position for salvation. You don't come to your pride. You don't come to God in your pride and arrogance and, hey, God, I'm here. Won't you save me while I'm here? Don't waste my time. I'm in a hurry. That's not how you come to God. You, you come to God in the spirit of, of humility and shame and understanding your sin and, and fullness of regret and, and in, a, in a state of surrender. And that's what this is. That this, this falling to the ground, this is an expression of humility. This is, this is brokenness. This is an expression of worship. But it is impossible to get anything done in that position. So once salvation is accomplished, Jesus said, get up. I got something for you to do. See, that ain't stopped today. Our, our assignment didn't stop at salvation. Salvation was the kneeling point. After that, it's get up. I got some things for you to do. Jesus says, now that we've established in your heart who I am and, and that you've believed in your heart, get, on, get up on your feet. So, so Paul was on his way to Damascus with the orders of men. He's on his way to Damascus to, to condemn Christians. But now he's on his way with orders from Christ. And then rather than going to condemn Christians, he's going as a Christian. Hitting God amazing. Hitting God amazing. He allowed the same U-turn in our life. Our story may not be road to Damascus, but everybody has that U-turn story where we were walking against God. And just like that, we were a child of God. All through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Saul of Tarsus, we, we see him here. All of a sudden, he's seen Christ, so he's, he's stripped of all this Judaist pride. He's stripped of all of this um, Pharisaic tradition. He's stripped of all of this, his old traditional theology. All that's taken away. And, and now the Gentiles, who have been the enemy of, of the Jews, certainly, if not before, since the Egyptian um, slavery... They've always been, been the enemy of the Jew. And now Jesus says, I'm not just going to send you to Damascus for a few minutes. I'm going to send you to preach to the Gentiles. See, there lies the problem. 
Paul, 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 we talked about it before. The Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul right here. He's not putting all this stuff together. He's just showing up and the Holy Spirit is, is speaking through him. And so here, here's the problem. The Sanhedrin's champion, Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus has defected them. He has betrayed their command to kill Christians and has sided with them. Now that to them is enough. That to them, that's punishable by death. If that was all he had done. But he's going to the Gentiles. He's offering salvation to the dogs. He's telling the Gentile that this man Jesus can save you and bring you to our God. As if though they own God. He, see, that, 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 if Agrippa didn't know before. You know, that, that's what Festus and Agrippa want to know. What's this all about? Why did they come drag Paul out of the synagogue? Why do they have this intolerable hatred for you? Why after two years of imprisonment and silence, when we change governors, now the Sanhedrin comes up? What is this intolerable hatred that they have for you? Paul says, there it is. I was one of them. And it's not enough that I got saved by the one that they hate. But I've been obedient to do what he tells me to do. And I've been going to the Gentiles who they despise. Paul's given a, a mission for Christ. You, now you remember even before going back to Jerusalem, Paul was given warning from the Holy Spirit. This isn't going to be a good trip for you, right? Y'all remember that. This is going to be a bad trip for you. I need you to leave Asia. I need you to make your way back. I need you to get back. But, but this is going to be, if you remember, he even sent one to prophesy to him. that The one with this girdle is going to be bound in chains. So he, he didn't go to Jerusalem not knowing that things ain't going to work out so good. There's going to be a lot of, lot of thing, things brought up right here. But Paul was told something else. If you remember when all this started, remember this is a few weeks back when they were outside the synagogue and he went in there with the four men to help sanctify them, to help cleanse the guys. And he's there for their sake. And a bunch of Jews got all rowdy and drug him out of the synagogue. And they're, they're trying to kill him. And they bring it out. And they come out in the guard stop and put all this fuss about it. And if y'all remember, then there was 40 plus men banded themselves together. Remember they made a vow? They'll neither eat nor drink until they kill the apostle Paul. I wonder how that's working out for them. That's like two years and four months ago now. Well, now I, I, I just some skinny jokers, right? They made this vow that, that they're going to kill the, the apostle Paul. But if you remember in chapter 23, this is what Jesus said to Paul. The night following the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. Right now, Paul is immortal. He is. They can't kill him if they want to. The gun won't fire. The knife will break. The swords will turn to rubber. Mankind has no authority right here to kill Paul. He cannot be killed. Y'all understand that? God said, I sent you to Jerusalem to preach. You preached at Jerusalem. I'm going to send you to Rome to preach. The gates of hell have no power, no authority against that. Paul is immortal right here. He has no fear. He has no fear of Festus. He has no fear of Agrippa. He has no fear of Caesar. Paul has no fear of man whatsoever. He is on a mission and he knows nothing can change it. But verse number 18. Verse number 18. We have the incredible truth of the gospel. This is like the apostle Paul's 
closing line. He is quoting the statement that Jesus Christ made to him. He's sending them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The, the words that Paul speaks right here, this is a direct quote from Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Christ said to me. This isn't a letter. This isn't something transcribed or translated or carried over. This isn't a message given somebody to bring to me and I got the part they told me. This is Jesus Christ himself told me this. And in this text, this is what he says about how the Lord sees man. Number one, the Lord sees man as spiritually blind because he says that he's going to send Paul to open their eyes to turn them from darkness. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Paul, when he could see, was actually blind. When the light from Christ blinded him, he could actually see. That, that's what the line is in the Pharisees that, that, that gives us in the play. You men, you think you can see. Because you think you can see, you're blind. But, but, but if you knew who I was, then, then you could see. So, so he, Jesus says that he sent to open their, their eyes. That's what happened to you and I. We, we, we were blind to reality until we met Jesus Christ. Number two, we see that the Lord sees man as satanically bound. No hope. They are bound by Satan. Jesus says to turn them from darkness and from the power of Satan. Never underestimate the power of Satan or his authority over the things of the world. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is talking about our previous life. Before we were saved. Before salvation. He says in Ephesians 2 2. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. And the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath. Even as others. Praise God for the first two words of verse number four, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. So we see that Satan is the prince of the world. He is the prince of the air. He has power over darkness. If you want to know what Satan can't do, then you read the book of Job that we just looked at Sunday. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow. But if you want to know what Satan can do, read the same book. And you'll find out that he can unleash hell on your doorstep in one day. All it takes is permission from God and see the power that, that he has there. What Jesus says in his call to the apostle Paul is that people are bound by the power of Satan. They are captives. Sin holds people hostage. It held us hostage. He has power over their lives. He has power over their actions. He has power over their beliefs. He even has power over their eternal destiny without Jesus Christ. The only thing that can change that is the blood of Jesus. They, they are captives to Satan's authority, but Jesus will set them free. We are not captives of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of the living God. 
We, we were not bound and drugged to Jesus. We came willingly, and he openly accepted us. There's a big difference in being bound hostage and being freely given. So we, we are given access to the throne room. When we answer to the call of the Holy Spirit, we see that our eyes are open, our chains are broken, and our lives are set free from darkness. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Satan might have authority over the things of this world, but he is no match for the power of God that has reigned over sin and death. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So then we, we see here in the text that the Lord saves us by forgiveness of sin. He tells Paul to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin. Listen, no presentation of the gospel is adequate if it does not bring a person to their sin. No presentation of the gospel is complete if it does not take a person and put them in their sin and show them in their desperate need of salvation. No presentation of the gospel is complete until, until someone is convicted of the fact that they are a sinner. First and foremost, you can't be found until you know you're lost. Amen? Then once you've established the fact that you're lost in sin, nothing's complete. Until you've brought them to the name of Jesus Christ. This garbage that the world is telling. There's thousands of ways. There's thousands of ways to hell. There's one way. There's one way to God. And it's Calvary. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. We see that the Lord saves us by forgiveness. But we also see the fulfillment. That they may receive forgiveness of sin. And inheritance. So not only does Jesus Wash away all of our sins, but we become children of God. Join heirs with Jesus Christ himself. How awesome is that? Kind of like I was talking about Sunday. Just a promise alone, that's a pretty good deal for somebody like me. If he didn't give me anything in this life, he's given me enough already. Just to wash away my sins is more than I could have ever wished for. And to give me a home in heaven is more than I'll ever deserve. We see also there in that, in that statement, it says, an inheritance among them which are sanctified. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul said, beginning in verse 16, he said, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. But verse number 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That is the middle school's verse, the slogan. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We, we are a separate people. We are a peculiar people. We are a sanctified people. That means we are set apart for an holy purpose. Not set apart, set on a shelf. Not set apart, set on a pew. Not set apart to wait until we see Jesus. We are set apart for an holy purpose. Just like he told Paul, get up on your feet. I got something for you to do. He said in verse 18, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. So, so we, we see that through our salvation we have a, a new family. And that, that's the family of God. 
in its entirety. We are separated unto himself. And, and then lastly, we see that, that our salvation through Jesus Christ, it, it gives us a new focus. He says, sanctified by faith that is in me. Our new birth and our new life doesn't come about by happenstance. It's a personal choice. It's, it's not the product of our, don't misunderstand, it's not the product of our, of our works. It's not the, the products of our own effort. But it is by choice. It is not forced upon you. Nobody can hold a gun to your head and get you saved. No, no, nobody can torture you into getting saved. It is a personal choice. Free will beings that, that, we, that we come to Christ. It, it is the product of receiving what Christ himself paid on our behalf. He makes us members of this, this, this new community that is set apart from the power of sin. We're not set apart from sin. We still battle it every day, right? But we are no longer bound under the, the power of sin or, or, or living in the power of darkness. We are, we are set apart from the chains that once held us prisoners. Set free by Christ. John says in chapter 8 verse 36. Jesus said, if the Son therefore shall make you free, then you shall be what? Free indeed. Free indeed. We're not just a little bit free. We are free indeed. Everything comes to rest in this one name, Jesus. The one who was crucified. The one who is risen. The one who has ascended to be seated at the right hand of the Father. So Paul right here takes the, these, this little handful of verses. He quotes what Jesus Christ told him his assignment is going to be. This is the very heart of the gospel. This is the simplicity of everything that they need to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he teaches it to everybody present in Caesarea. He, he has brought the, the gospel message to every man and woman there. You, you got all of the hierarchy. He's brought the gospel message to Festus as Festus sets up there in all of his Roman pride and arrogance. He, he's brought the gospel to Agrippa who knows the law and the prophet. He, he knows what the Jews believe. He's one of them and he knows that he's living in sin and guilt and shame. And, and he is convicted of the Holy Spirit. We'll see that. He is convicted of the Holy Spirit by the sin that he's living in. You got Bernice, his sister, all the magistrate. You got everybody there and, and they are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul sits there with, it, with, this, with this court case that is brought in that honestly seems to be a waste of time. Right? It's brought into a courtroom. Why do you go to court? To be tried. What's the purpose of a trial? To determine guilt or innocent. Right? He's brought into this courtroom to present his case, to be put on trial, and there is absolutely no possibility of any judgment taking place because he's already appealed to Caesar. He's got to go to Caesar. Nothing can happen here, good or bad. No judgment can be made. Why did God bring it to this? Every one of them just heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul said. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. How are you going to argue with that? 
I'm on my way to Damascus. I got orders from these guys, and it's to go kill Christians. But on my way, I met the one that they had crucified, and he said, not anymore. Now you're my child, and I got a work for you to do. And now I'm, I'm doing what Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, told me to do. I'm simply carrying out the heavenly vision, and they can't stand it. Lord willing, we'll pick up there next week. We'll make, we, we should make it down to verse 28 where, where Agrippa says, Almost, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. You know the sad part of the rest of this study? You don't find a conversion in there. You don't, you don't find a Christian out of all that, of all they heard Paul say. He went to all these other places and you talk about all these conversions and thousands are added to the church. You can't help but believe that somebody that heard that one way asking some questions, but at all this hierarchy and all of this political superiority and all of the religious superiority and all this there, all you find is that this king says, almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost saved is completely lost. Almost heaven turned into completely hell for all of eternity. What a shame. Mm. Father God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the message. Thank you most of all, Lord Jesus, for the blood that washes away all of our sin, that put a seal upon our forehead, wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. Father God, I pray you'd empower us. I pray you'd strengthen us. God, every day we face the grippers on this world that says almost, almost persuaded me. I'm just not ready yet. They're almost, God. There's so many in this day and time in this world that'll sit there and listen for a few minutes and say almost, but I'm not ready yet. God, I wonder how many of them are turning and walking away to an eternal hell. God, I pray you'd empower us and make us usable vessels to preach the gospel boldly and clearly in this day and time that we might win this town to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, give us vision, give us wisdom, give us direction on how, Father, we can change LaGrange, Georgia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, 